the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to the Forward Together podcast, episode five of our podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined today as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you today? Fine, Gerard. Good stuff. Okay. So straight onto the conversations as always we have an interview as a, the focus of this podcast and today's interview is with Landa Irvine and Landa is an Irish language activist from the, the unionist community connected to the Skano Centre so Paul some of the really interesting things that Landa is going to talk about now in a minute or we're going to hear from Landa is about reaching across the divide and the need to educate young people to allow spaces for different types of conversation and bringing people together on shared interests such as the Irish language to allow them to create more natural connections and friendships. What were the other things that you talked about with Linda? Well, I think that's an important point to stress, Gerard. I mean, Linda is one of the most interesting voices in Northern Ireland. Mm. And I, I, I say that genuinely. Uh, she's based in Skynet Centre on Newtonards Road. Uh, she has signed up more than 200 people from a unionist background to learn to speak Irish. Mm. And that's not simply from a political gesture. It's in order to help people understand each other. And also, you know, there's a lot of Irish words that are, are you know, within unionist uh, history as well. Yeah. And so that's a very important element of rebuilding our society and bringing things together. And because that's actually, you know, what the Skynor Centre is about and what much of community sector organisation in Northern Ireland is about. It's about how communities can recognise that their experience is similar and also that the social deprivation in one community is incredibly similar to the social deprivation in another community. Yeah. And you can see that in East and West Belfast, you know, very, very strongly. And so, I mean, Linda's point really is that we need to we need to build on the past. We need to recognise the mistakes that have been made, and we need to, you know, not seek to take offence. Yeah. We need to, you know, heal our society to be gracious, as she puts it, and to be generous, and to recognise, yeah, there are differences, but we need to focus perhaps on what brings us together, and the fact that you know our communities need to be educated together and to be brought together. And the other really important point that she makes here. I think, Gerard, is, you know, let's think imaginatively about how we could reach a, a consensus, a progress on the Constitution. And she's mm. suggesting that uh, some type of federation, she doesn't go into details, but some type of federation could be a way forward. So we need to think about how we can make compromises to keep everyone happy as we achieve a more settled society in the future. Okay. Let's hear from London Eye on that on and all our points as well. We are now joined by Linda Irvine, a community worker at the Skynor Centre in East Belfast. Uh, Linda, thank you very much for being interviewed by us. Let's start off, how do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress? Well, I feel, you know, we've got to reach across the divide. Sadly, 20 years after the Good Friday Agreement, we are still very much a divided community, which frustrates me greatly. Um, I feel there's been a change in narrative We've become less sectarian where it's about religion and become more sectarian where it's become about politics. And the game now is to vilify people because of their politics. Unfortunately, that's played out by our politicians because it, it sadly works well to polarise people. So I, I think really it is to educate young people to realise that, you know, because somebody disagrees with you, 
it doesn't make them the devil, it doesn't make them a monster. Um, you know, they have an entitlement to have a different point of view, but we can still build a Northern Ireland that works and still, you know, build on the, the, the good peace work that has been going on for the last lot of years. So what do you think structurally we can do to bring people together and to strengthen this civil element within society? Well, I suppose I feel too that, you know, there's been fantastic work done since the, you know, the Good Friday Agreement and, and the run-up to that where we've, we've brought people together, sort of 10 Catholics, 10 Protestants and things. But I do believe that we've got beyond that now. And I think what we need to do is create opportunities just for people to come together with shared interests. And the main focus is not on difference. The main focus is on what we share. And, you know, I think if that's young people, is that, you know, what do young people do now? Mixing decks and music and, you know, things like that. Maybe somebody in the background is looking to see the 10 Catholics, the 10 Protestants are there and, you know, trained people that have issues come up and deal with them. But the focus is not on culture, the focus is not on politics, the focus is not on difference, the focus is on what they both enjoy and so people can just make friendships, relationships, encourage each other, help each other because they're there to do whatever, skateboarding, it doesn't matter, you know. So you think if we focus more on what we share rather than what we disagree on, yeah. it would be helpful? Yeah, I do. What do you think we can learn from the, uh, the failure of the Civic Forum? I suppose, I think what we need to do now is look at you know, what, what has happened over the last 20 years. Because yes, progress has been made, there's no doubt about it. You know, we, we can see in Northern Ireland a lot of progress has been made. But I suppose everybody's frustrated in the fact that we haven't made enough progress. And... It really is, I suppose I feel like a lot of people, it is the way our system is set up. It's, we have two, two confrontational parties who were outside, mostly outside the, the original um, discussions. So the, the smaller parties have been pushed out. We didn't get the civic forum that had been mentioned as part of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, you know, we know that when the Good Friday Agreement was being discussed, you know, one of the parties, the, the Women's Coalition, did sterling work in helping to move things forward, to, to sort of negotiate between parties, and the small parties were invaluable at that time, but they have really lost their voice. So I think, you know, I don't believe we should scrap the Good Friday Agreement. I think the Good Friday Agreement has been, you know, a, a wonderful value but it was meant as a sort of a scaffold to lead us on to somewhere else and 20 years onwards I think now we need to sit down and say okay we've come this far you know what do we need to do go, to go further and we can see that having um, really the two big voices the DUP and Sinn Féin it hasn't worked you know we've, we've now got this stalemate and we've got the massive stalemate so we need to sit down and think okay this is how people are voting and you know that that's democracy but there's also a massive amount of people out there who are not voting so they don't feel engaged with the the, the, the politics they don't feel they have a voice so you know how how do we change that what how can we tweak the system i suppose to give um to give a greater voice and to stop the situation that we're in now happening again so how, how do we create a genuinely shared and integrated society? 
given where we are? No, these are not easy questions. No, they're not, are they? They're not. They're definitely not. You know, I, I can only talk about my corner of the world and what we do here. And and this is what I suppose frustrates me. When, when we set up as an Irish language centre in what is a predominantly loyalist area, there were a small number of people who maybe misguided, I feel, but for our sake of our success, you know, wanted us to be very much about, you know, we're taking it back. You know, this is about Protestants reclaiming their language. This is about the nice speakers and the nasty speakers. This is us in opposition to, you know, Sinn Féin and republicanism. And that this would be a way of winning hearts and minds within the unionist community. And, you know, I suppose it would have won some hearts and minds to be in opposition. But it would have also been damaging. You know, it would have been another, another, um, just, I suppose, picking over the scab, really. And we didn't want to do that, so we took a risk and we said, no, that's, that's not what we're about. We're about taking our place within the Irish language community, which has been very successful because we've been helped, accepted, and, you know, we're opening our door to anybody. So, you know, I think people have to stop being defensive. I think people have to stop... Um, looking for offence as well. I, th I mm. think sometimes we're very guilty of that, where we're watching to see who's going to have a go at us, are we going to say something that we don't like. Um, I think we have to... I think we have to have graciousness, generosity, and recognise that, you know, there are certain differences, but that's not what's important. What's important is the fact that we share this place and we have to acknowledge that somebody might have a different political aspiration to us, but it doesn't make them the enemy. They have a valid argument and the only thing, I suppose it's, it's getting it back into perspective, that, you know, the, G, the Good Friday Agreement set it up, there will be a referendum if there's a demand for it and then we'll vote and people will decide do they want to stay as part of the UK or do they want to go to the South. Nothing else will do that, you know, and it doesn't matter how much politicians beat drums or whether there's language acts or anything, that's what change things. So I suppose education and, you know, helping people to understand the full implications of things, this is what matters, this is what works. You don't need to, to fight every tiny battle about the, the, the minutiae of unimportant things that will not change the, the you know, the big question. You mentioned the, the Irish language, the Otichi. How many, how many people have been students of yours? Then? Oh, we've had hundreds of students over the last six years. This year alone, 225 people have signed up for classes. Now, we're talking just now about a shared society, and we've got problems that even the designated areas for shared housing seem to be focal points for, for conflict rather than for bringing communities together. I mean, what's your observation about that? Yeah, they unfortunately have, I know in East Belfast there, there's been sort of a, an attack on one as well, you know, signs put up and um, I think a few people were threatened and whatnot. You know, there are always going to be difficulties and I mean, it, even in a, a non-shared housing sense, and I, I know this from experience, when you move a lot of people into what is brand new housing, there's always trouble. 
people are jockeying for position, you know, it takes a while for communities to settle down. So I don't think we should be surprised when issues come up within new housing developments because there's even more complications then. You know, you, you've got um, people coming from different political backgrounds and the sort of concerns about that. So I think we have to recognise that some people will move in, some people will move out, you know, it, it, it will just take time. And to not panic about that, to give that time to, to go on and support people within those areas. Um, and I think just keep moving ahead. I think, again, we have to be realistic. We are a post-conflict society. There are going to be issues. You know, there was no magic wand, but we must just push ahead in our vision for a shared society. The naysayers, the people who want to hold us back, you know, I suppose in many, they're always going to be there. But, you know, I believe the majority of people want to share Northern Ireland, the majority of people want peace, the majority of people don't want to go backwards, and the majority of people do not want the, the stalemate politics that we have, even though, unfortunately, you know, the biggest parties are Sinn Féin and the DUP. So I think we have to keep reaching out to the, the, the rational, reasonable side of our own natures and, and keep pushing ahead. I wonder whether placing shared housing sites on interface areas is, is the best way or whether that's a bit unrealistic. Well, I think, you know, and this is, I think it was Peter Sherlow did a, a really good piece of research looking at interface areas and I, I know this about the interface area that I have come from myself. And he said that, you know, what he saw was the major problem in these areas was not sectarianism, it was poverty, it was addiction, it was poor health, it was lack of education, it was lack of opportunity. And unfortunately, I know the, the area that I come from um, became a bit of a dumping ground as well, so you, you would have a, a lot of people with a lot of problems, and, you know, that that's not going to be helpful. So. I personally feel that the interface areas need massive help. You know, a lot of places in Northern Ireland hold on and enjoy, enjoy the dividends of peace, but, you know, if you're living in an interface area with a wall down the middle and still, you know, low-level attacks, you didn't, you didn't get that chance. So they need an extra help. There should be massive amounts of money and support poured in there. I think their housing should be above average. I think they should have um, access to you know, above average facilities. I also think, and this is what I feel is very important, that there should be youth work, um, you know, work with the adults that is only dealing with those areas, you know, not the, the political represent representatives, not somebody that lives six streets away. The people who are actually living in those particular streets and you know, dealing with the, the aspects of having the wall or having stones coming over, those people should be brought together, taken away for weekends, I don't know, whatever you want, talk to help to develop their area and help to realise that you know, they may be living on either side of a wall, but the reality is they're facing the same problems and some of those are poverty and all the rest of it. But you know, when a stone comes over from somebody on say my side over to their side and somebody from their side over to my side, we're dealing with the same problems. And you know, it's not Catholic youth or Protestant youth, it's youths who are bored, who this is a nice entertainment to them, that are making those people's lives a misery. 
and work has to be done there with those young people and with those people too and I know this is a dangerous area because vigilantes and things but I suppose in some way to empower those people to be able to police and protect their own areas where it's not lemons it's us's you know we are the people under attack here by, by both sides of this community because we have to live here and we have to share this ground and I think if you can do that on a very local level where people know who these young people are and are able to be helped and supported to go around to homes and say, look, your, your belly was round or your Seamus was round, we want to live here and we want to live in peace. We don't want them coming down, so can you help us? You know, so it's it's a very, very local level, in other words, that these things need to be done. And if the walls are going to come down and people are going to learn to live in peace with each other, well, then relationships have to be made first. You know, you just can't take the wall down and say, well, here you are, get on with it. So I feel that there's a lot of intervention, a lot of money needs to be spent with skilled people. But I think if we have the politicians coming in, or the community workers from six streets away, or somebody from up here, I don't think that's helpful. You know, I think it is the actual people who are there, the actual neighbours, because that's what they are, neighbours. One of the things that gets in the way of making progress is dealing with the past. And how do you think we should be dealing with the past and to what extent can we achieve reconciliation now? And again, that's another very difficult one because what I've noticed over the last lot of years is we talk more about the past now than we talked about it when it was actually happening. And, um, and know, talk more about the past and the future as well. Yeah, we do. We do. And we, we are really obsessed with it and digging it over. Um, you know, and it is a scab that we keep picking, and it's not helpful. And you know, and that doesn't mean that. You know, I don't want to disrespect victims, and it's easy for me. You know, I, I don't have a relative who was killed in one of these atrocities. It's easier for me to move on. But if we want to have a better future, then we do need to let go. The whole thing about the, the victims and even the legacy and the money, where we can't even decide on who is a victim. You know, I feel that we don't need to decide on who is a victim. You know, we can we can self um, identify as a victim or identify our people as victims. So maybe it would have been helpful to have a day where it's not about glorifying the war. It's not about pointing out, no, it's not you, but it's just that everybody can acknowledge and whether it's church services, respectful services, where everybody can just acknowledge that we did things to each other that we're wrong and we need to move on and, um, and as I said it would have to be dealt with very carefully so it wouldn't become you know a glorification of it or a pointing out no you're not allowed to do it maybe some um, again abstract piece of art that would go up which doesn't name people it doesn't name groups but allows everybody to sign up and say what happened here was wrong and all walks of life took part in it you know, and many of us even know that we didn't lift a gun, but we, we condoned it, or we didn't condemn it, or whatever. Um, you know, so these respectful things that would allow some healing for victims. And of course the other thing is that the next generations coming along don't seem to be, perhaps, they, they haven't changed the approaches of the past. They seem yeah. to be feeling that they've got a debt to people in the past and therefore are unable yeah, to yeah. be flexible perhaps. Well, I, I see two extremes in um, young people and there's a class issue I think mm. going on here too and that's mm. a big problem and a lot of sort of middle class young people 
you know, they're not interested and, you know, they, they're not interested in pricing DUP and, you know, they're, they're much more broader in their thinking and a lot of them have had the opportunity to travel. They're not tied into it and um, I see a lot of them are maybe embarrassed by, you know, some of the stuff. And then sadly I see some working class um, communities, young people on both sides that are still, you know, I, I feel like I'm talking to people who I grew up with, you know, and they're, they weren't even born. You know, why are they buying into this when it has nothing to do when it's over? You know, why are they still wanting to fight the war? So I think that's, that is quite worrying. And, um, and we need to, we need to say, look, we need to put this to bed. This is over, this was done, this conflict is gone. And you know, people say now we've moved into the cultural war where we're using things to mark out territory and things and you know, it, it's not helpful. It isn't helpful. So again, I suppose some way of, of respectfully remembering what happened and mourning it and recognising that what we did was wrong, you know, and that's all sides and that includes the British government. That includes the security forces, that includes loyalist paramilitaries, that includes republican paramilitaries, and that includes us as members of the public who cheered for our own side. And it has to be a process by which there's a sharing of that memory and yeah, the yeah, wrongs yeah, rather than yeah. it and, being and I think Once we get into the, well, we are allowed to respectfully remember that you are not, yes. you did things then we're on the yes. road to no time, you know. Yeah. So it, it would have to be done very carefully and sensitively that it's not about that. It's just a general acknowledgement. Something terrible, terribly wrong happened here and it must not happen again, you know. And I suppose, I suppose we could learn from places like Hiroshima, you know, who's had the most terrible, awful thing, you know. All, you know, we look at Northern Ireland, this is like a trip to the sweet shop you know, compared to what happened in those places. Yet, you know, I know there are people there who travelled the world, you know, saying, you know, we played our part in this and this must not happen again. Now, I think it'd be much easier to sit in Hiroshima and say, look, they murdered all of us and we're still having, you know, deformed children because of that. You know, so if we could look at our tiny conflict and say, my God, look at places who suffered horrendously, how healing they have been able to, but they don't want that to happen again. And I suppose if we could recognise there is always the danger that if we keep this up, we will recreate it and we're going to create more deaths. And I always felt that during the Troubles that you, know, you didn't have to lift a gun to be responsible for murder. You just had to feed hatred into other people, especially young people who didn't know any better, who would then go out and lift a gun or plant the bomb, you know. Now the other difficult conversation is about the constitutional settlement and how we have the conversation about the future constitutional status of where we are. I mean, how do we have that conversation without it inflaming yeah. things, do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I think what's interesting now is there does seem to be a change. It's a small change, it's a gradual change, and I suppose it's Brexit, and I suppose it's the Good Friday Agreement and people changing allegiance and I suppose exploring new ideas and I don't think it's helpful to say we can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. I, do, I think that's pointless 
And I think, again, that will lead us into a situation where if change does come, which may or may not happen, because that's going to be up to the people of Northern Ireland, then there will be, you know, it, it will be a shock and could then bring us back to, to war. Um, I personally feel that, you know, things have are changing and that's not just in, in Northern Ireland. Things are changing in the UK, you know, we've seen um, movement in Scotland where there was a referendum which didn't end up in an independent Scotland, but that, that is a change that has a possibility that might come. If I could personally wave my magic wand, I would like to see a Federation of Islands, I suppose that would be my, my preference. I'm not, the identity issue with an All-Ireland isn't an issue for me. The issue for me would be, I suppose like a lot of people, the practical um, outcomes of it, the national health. I like national health, I like being British, I like enjoying the British way of life. So for me, if a constitutional change has to come, I want to keep very close links with the rest of the UK and I wonder is there some way that a new discussion could be opened up because at the minute the only discussion we seem to have is you know UK or all Ireland it doesn't seem to be a sort of a recognition but could we not have an all Ireland that would be within a, a close-knit British Isles is that not a possibility um, why, why, why could that not happen? And, and I'm not talking about Ireland coming back into the Commonwealth, but that we bring Ireland into closer links with other countries within the UK. Could that, could that not open up a new discussion? I don't know. And the key is to have an open book conversation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And for people not to be afraid that this idea that if you talk about it, somehow it's going to happen. No, if you talk about it, that's just talking about possibilities, is that the things stay the same? Are the things can stay the same but be tweaked? Can that be massive changes or small changes or what changes? But, you know, if um, the, the, the population is changing and we know that the nicest community is rising, which again doesn't necessarily mean that people will automatically um, vote for a UK. It doesn't automatically mean that people from the unionist community are going to automatically vote for a UK either. But it's just opening up the discussion, especially now because of Brexit. And, and I know I, I have been quite surprised at some of the people from the unionist community who, who more recently have started to say, well, actually, you know, I, I, I would be in favour of going into Ireland. And um, so, there, there is a, a change in mindset and the only way that we can respectfully deal with that and acknowledge that is by giving people space to talk and without attacking them. I think one of the big issues we have in Northern Ireland is if people, and I, I, I can't speak for the, the nicest community but I can certainly speak for my own community, is when people say something different, when people they say stepping out of line, um, they're not, they're not talk on the party line, all of a sudden they're a Lundy, they're a traitor. But you're not a Lundy or you're a traitor. You've got a different point of view, which may or may not be a popular point of view. But the whole point, I feel, and one of the strengths about being part of the UK is a democracy that allows you to express a different point of view. But 
what we do have to do is learn from the Brexit referendum by having an open, civilised and honest conversation yeah. about a referendum and what it would mean afterwards yeah. and where and I, we're going. I, I think one of the issues that happened with Brexit and we're, we're dealing with that now is that there was a lot of misinformation put out or there was a, um, a lot of extremist views and my point, you know, my, my feeling, you know, that the whole bus thing um, and people voted Possibly a lot of people now are having regrets about, you know, those votes. But they, they voted on a very narrow information on what is a very complex, um, a, 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 a complex topic. I didn't vote because I felt I couldn't make an educated vote. I, I didn't know which way to vote because. I couldn't understand what I was voting for, what I was going to vote for, what I was going to vote for against. I didn't know did I want to stay in Europe, did I want to stay, come out of Europe. I regret now that I didn't vote to stay, I have to be honest. But at the time, I really, you know, I, I listened to the arguments and I rejected the, the, the racist ones. Um, but I wasn't sure, you know, was Europe a good thing? Um, you know, it's, it had taken, you know, it went from being the, the, you know, European Union into something different, this kind of state that had a lot of corruption in it too, and I wasn't sure whether that was a good thing, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to come out of it either. So I decided just not to vote at all, because I, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't make the call. Linda Irvine, thank you very much indeed. Okay, Linda Irvine there, and conversation with yourself, Paul. So, Paul, um, some really interesting points raised there. Are there other things that you're taking away? It's like you mentioned the social issues before we heard the interview, but that came through really clearly, I think. Absolutely. And and again, this point needs to be emphasised that, you know, the, the issues about poverty, about uh, poor education, about insufficient skills, about poor quality homelessness. You know, you've got an interface wall, but exactly the same problems are on both sides of that interface wall. Mm. And if we can move towards focusing on those problems and on the solution to those problems and in helping people within those areas, that are very often very close-knit areas on different sides of the walls, yeah. that actually there may be common solutions that we can you know, utilise. And that would be really helpful, not simply in dealing with those social problems, but also in healing our society. Okay, so that's it for the fifth uh, Forward Together podcast. Thanks to Linda and Irvine for taking the time to meet with Paul. Thank you to Paul for carrying out the interview and keep an eye out for future episodes. Thanks for listening. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.